Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk for a range of reasons, and the journey has been walked for hundreds and hundreds of years, indeed, if not thousands of years. I'm a two-time pilgrim, a real rookie in comparison to many. But the Camino left such a massive imprint on my psyche, I can't help maintain the connection. I want to keep the Camino spirit alive. So Happy New Year to all of my listeners, no matter where you are around the world. I like to think of us as a community. And I'm loving the podcast and the opportunity to talk to pilgrims around the world more and more each week. I plan to be with you right throughout 2020 and beyond. 2019 is coming to a close and a new decade beckons. What will we learn in the 2020s? What will we live in the 2020s? What's in store for us? What do you and I hope to achieve? Well, one way you might think about what your future holds is to walk the Camino de Santiago. I've been doing a lot of reading over the summer here in Australia, and I've become fascinated with a Japanese philosophy called Ikigai. Google it. Basically, you find something you are good at, something you love, something the world needs, and something that you can earn a living from. You combine those four spheres of focus and you have Ikigai. You end up with a passion, mission, profession and vocation. Ikigai. The friend who introduced me to it called it your reason for being. Japan's greatest swordsman, the ultimate samurai, is Miyamoto Musashi. He died in the 1600s. In the final scroll of his legendary teaching, the Dokodo, he talks about what he calls the way of the samurai, and his last words were, never stray from the way. Finding your way, he says, is your life's solace. And the Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl said, everything can be taken from a man or woman, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, or to choose one's own way. My guest this week is the American writer Jennifer Helfen. Jennifer's on the line from Thailand. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you very much, Dan. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. You wrote to me to say you're a writer from Philadelphia in the USA who started backpacking around the world in July 2018. Now, here you are on yes, the line from Thailand. What prompted this global journey? Well, it's something that I had wanted to do for years. Years and years and years. And um, I was working on two books, and really I'd lived like a recluse for about two and a half years to finish these books. And I also teach English online, and three of my students, I mean, really inspired me. They kept insisting, I can do this, I can do this. And I kept insisting, no, I can't, I don't have the money. And they said, just set off and you'll find a way. And um, so I set off and I spent a few months back in the U.S. visiting family and for my brother's wedding. But aside from that, I've just been traveling. And so let's go to the Camino and we'll talk about your, your precise journey, which and you didn't really walk that far, but it had a, an amazing impact on your life. What's one word you use to capture your Camino experience? Um. I don't want to say life-changing, but um, ch- changing, I mean, yeah. not my entire life, but it had it had a real effect on me. Yeah. And, and 
And so let's take a step back. How did the Camino come into your life? I'd learned about it, wow, when I was um, maybe 20-something, so 20-some years ago, watching a movie out on the limb, or out on a limb, which is uh, Shirley MacLaine's story of her spiritual journey. And since that time, I'd had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to do this. And I used to live in Spain, and I want to go back and settle down there. So when I started planning a trip, um, a trip planning traveling around Italy and Portugal and, and Spain this past summer, of course, I was thinking about the Camino. And um, when I'd been in Europe, when was I there? At the start of the new year, as I was getting on a plane to go from Ireland back to the U.S., I just had this feeling that said, you will walk the Camino de Santiago before the year ends. And I said, no, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) I have other things that I have to do. And the strongest feeling said, yes, you will. I thought, okay, feeling, you can say whatever you want. No, I won't. And um, I wound up doing it. So was it a gradual fascination or were you, like me, drawn to it? You said that the little voice inside your head told you you would do it. Tell us about the journey then of eventually responding to the voice. I mean, I certainly, I don't think it was gradual in terms of my entire life because the moment I heard about it, I wanted to do it. But I think in that one year, it was gradual and finally making the decision to do it because I had that feeling. Then maybe in March, I was starting to plan more things for the summer. And I thought, all right, I'll listen to that feeling and do it. Then I found out what I owed in taxes. (laughs) said, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I'm not doing it. I just, I can't do it. And I'd been doing a little research before then. And then I went to Italy first to visit some friends. I mean, one of the ways that I've been able to do this travel is because I do have friends in so many different countries and I've been able to stay with them. So I went to Italy to stay with friends. Portugal was next. And in Portugal, I met someone without even speaking about the Camino. He just started to speak to me about it. And I said, oh, I've been thinking of doing it. And he said, he did it. It was incredible. And I have to do it. And I said, well, I haven't planned anything. He said, you don't need to plan anything. You can just go tomorrow. So, okay, that was in the back of my head. And then I went to Spain. And again, without even speaking about it, I met this woman in a store in Malaga who just brought it up and just started saying how incredible it was. And again, I said to her, well, I haven't planned anything. I don't think I have the money. She said, you don't need it. And she told me how she set off. She went with her children and set off with a backpack and all the gear. And she said, by the end of the day, they shipped everything to Santiago. And she said she kept like a toothbrush, toothpaste, sunscreen, a change of clothes, and her lipstick, I think, because she said... She still wanted to look good. Like everything went to Santiago, but she kept the lipstick. And really, she so inspired me that I left the store like 90% convinced. And within a day or two, I said, all right, I'm just going to do it without planning anything. 
I'm just going to set off. And I bought my, my ticket and, um, and that was it. I had no plans at all. Nothing. Wow. How fantastic. Did you feel yeah. the Camino's energy immediately you stepped onto the path? I think I felt it before then. Yeah, um, right. yeah. Because I bought everything so last minute, I was in Madrid and there was no direct train to Saria, which is where I was starting. So I actually had to go to to Santiago de Compostela. I spent the day there. And then I took a, a train back to um, back to Saria, where I was going to start. And really just being in Santiago, I mean, the bus ride there, the closer we got, everything was covered in fog. And I felt like that was kind of symbolic because I didn't know the next step in my life. I had no idea about, you know, the next step with the Camino. And I just felt it in the Camino. And then when I got to Saria and stepped off the train, I felt like you could feel it. You know, there's just some places the energy is so strong. And also there were so many pilgrims on the, the train getting off there with me. And it was just incredible. This might be a difficult question to answer, but how does the Camino resonate with you now in your day-to-day life? Um, I think about it. I Right now I probably think about it, not every day, but, but fairly often, because I wouldn't have come to Chiang Mai if not for, if not for the Camino. I mean, the Camino really gave me a lot of courage to take two big steps in my life in terms of my writing and where I was going next. And I had no idea about either of them before the Camino. Yeah, because we should explain that to to the listeners. You were in Chiang Mai in Thailand and I'm in Sydney, Australia. We're talking uh, via Skype and you are there to concentrate on your writing. And you said to me in an email, the Camino really gave you a lot of the courage to be able to make that final decision. And Chiang Mai is a good place to settle. You constantly reminded of the challenge ahead of you, or are you just determined to make the most of it? I think the Camino also took away some of that. I, I mean, certainly I'm I'm working hard for my writing and to get the word out and all of this, but I think that type of immense, oh, the, this challenge is so big, the fear, all of this, the Camino took a lot of that away because I set off without any plans at all and just followed my instinct and everything was okay. And I think that Camino, even a friend had said to me, you sound so much different. You sound more grounded after walking it. It really took that immense feeling of, oh no, what do I do away? I don't feel that now. Yeah, what a wonderful release. What a wonderful opportunity. You know, you wrote to me, Jennifer, to say, my destination was never Santiago. (laughs) I went looking for some help to figure out the next step in my life. Tell us about the life of Zira. Is it Zira? Zara. Zara. Tell us about the life of Zara. So this is um, the second book that I published, but it was the first one that I started. I started it when I was uh, 26 and uh, I'd struggled with depression for almost my entire life. I got better two years before I, when I was 42 years before I set off on this journey. And it was just, I'd started treatment and um, everything was just horrible, awful in my life from 
work to I had almost no friends to, to so many things. And, um, I was working this terrible job and I went to a park during my lunch break and I had had this teacher when I was in high school who told me if you're ever sad or scared or don't know what to do, speak with the trees because they are so much wiser than people and they will give you direction. So I went to this park to be with the trees and I sat on a bench under one and I was thinking, this is not supposed to be my life. I was supposed to write and travel and do work to help other people. And in that instant, a seed landed on my lap and I swear I heard it say, and do you think this is the life I wanted for myself? I was supposed to be a tree. And that was the beginning of this book. And a year later, I started to get better. I set off traveling and then all these great questions that I'd had for years and couldn't stop asking, like, why is there suffering? Why why is there injustice? Why is there death? I would start to ask to people that I met along the way, all these incredible people. And, um, I mean, that eventually became, became the book, The Life of Zara. I'd work on it on and off during my travels. And um, that's one of the two that I finished right before I start off on, started off on the Camino. And um, one of the, the the two messages that I got on the Camino, one was um, just about not being afraid, like not being afraid to share my writing. And also I'd wanted to write about mental health issues for a while, my own personal experiences. And one of the messages I got was about not being afraid, just share it. And Zara is a seed. It, the book is The yes. Life of Zara is that seed. Yep. Yep. That's a great story. The seed <laughs> fell in your lap and said, do you think this is the life that I, I, I chose? I, I wanted to be a tree. Yep. That was, that was the beginning. I mean, that's, that's amazing. The <laughs> that's the introduction to the story I wrote in the book, but that's really the introduction, how the story came to me. That's it. Oh, wow. That's really beautiful and powerful. There's a great line on, on your Instagram page. Reasons are only explanations, not justifications. I really love that. Reasons are not explanations. Uh, reasons, rather, are only explanations, not justifications. That's very powerful, isn't it? That's a line from my book. That's a line from The Life of Zara. Yeah. Really powerful. Thank it, you. Is the book, I have to concede, I haven't read The Life of Zara, but <laughs> is, is, the, is the book uh, about your journey or about everyone's journey? And is it, is it a novel or is it a, is it a self-help book? Tell us about it. I'd say it's a spiritual, philosophical, illustrated allegory. Right. And I, I'd say it's a combination of both because it was certainly this this feeling that I had when I was younger that I have to be a famous writer and then I'll be loved and then I'll be happy. And, and not that I didn't feel loved when I was younger, but I think it's this thing that we, that a lot of people have, I have to be loved by everybody. Maybe yeah. I won't say a lot, but some people, you know, this desire. So that part, I mean, was something that I had for a while or once I'm this beloved famous writer, then my depression will go away. You know, but I think in terms of the questions, these are universal questions. 
And I ask them, I mean, to so many people, to, to people who are survivors of assaults, Holocaust survivors, a Palestinian political prisoner. I, I mean, so many different people. And um, this was one woman's, one woman's, I don't, it's not word for word her answer, but it's something that we, that we talked about, that this idea of explaining things doesn't justify anything. It's an attempt to understand, and understanding is power. Knowledge is power. But it's not an excuse for for committing violence, for committing horrible acts. Wow, that's fantastic. Thanks. Oh, no, I love it, Jennifer. I really do. Um, uh, your pen name, though, you don't write under your own name, do you? Jordana Chana Mayim. Tell us that story. Jordana Chana. Yeah, Chana Mayim. Yeah, um, it's not a secret who I am. I mean, I even put my real name on my website. It's just Jennifer's a lovely name. It just never felt like mine. And um, my mom told me she couldn't decide when she was pregnant whether to name me Jennifer or Jordana. And she thought Jordana sounded too different. And she said if she knew, had known how I was going to turn out, she would have named me Jordana. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So... I'm reclaiming my name. Chana was my great-grandmother's name, and I promised her that when I published my books, I would use her name. And um, Mayim is Hebrew for water, and I just, we're all, we're all what, made up of 60% water, and I feel like we are, we are all the same. We all have the same last name, no matter what language you say it in. We, we're all one, you know, and that last name is... To remind me of that. So what does the future hold for you as a writer? What would you like to see? Well, I mean, obviously I'd love to be able to make a living from my writing. Um, I'd love to be able to, I mean, I always wanted to do work that helped others. And I, I know I've done that with my work, but my dream with my dream was never to write the great American novel ever. It was to write spiritual things that would help people. So I truly hope that things that I've written and that I'm working on help people, especially with issues of depression and mental health and suicide. I mean, I truly, truly hope that. So I'm working now on making contacts to share with people in the mental health field. I have a lot of writing projects going right now. One of them is a blog about depression and bipolar disorder and that I hope to turn into a book. So this is the direction I'm taking my writing in at the moment. I've been putting um, random questions into my scripts lately. I don't know why, but last last week I asked Sing Yi Gan if she was a dreamer. Mm -hmm. And it led us to a path where I thought was really fascinating. So this week I was... Let me ask you something completely off here. What sort of music do you like? What sort of music? Um, well, all different types. I think um, I think I've been obsessed with um, with Spanish music for ah, the moment because sure. and show tunes. I have to say, I love show tunes. Ah. Just because, I mean, I'm so happy to be in Chiang Mai. I really am, and I know it's not my time to leave yet, but. Um, but I do want to settle down in Spain, and I do miss it. And um, I just love Broadway shows. And uh, I, I mean, I've been obsessed with Hamilton for a while. So, so that's my answer. Yeah, and I think 
somebody who's come through a very challenging journey like you can use music as a means of escape. So I wonder what that says about you, that you like show tunes and Spanish music. Spanish music I understand because that's where you see your future. But what do you think show tunes tells you about your journey? Oh, I've loved them since I was since I was younger. I mean, the students in my class, you know, I was probably it's obvious I was not the popular child, you know, <laughs> but um, I was definitely not the popular child and everyone else likes pop music and I come in singing show tunes. I mean, you know, I mean, my parents loved it and I think that's where my, my love of it came from. But, um, it's just, I don't know. There's, of course, these beautiful ballads, these love songs, and a lot of it is upbeat. I mean, some of it obviously is, is heartbreaking. And I just think so many of the lyrics are just beautiful. And I it inspires me when I write. I mean, Hamilton, Rent, so many of Stephen Sondheim's work. I mean, I just love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a story, too. You're a storyteller. Yes, and, and so, yeah. be, and and when the songs are part of a story, it, it's part of a much broader picture, isn't it? And yeah. a, a broader narrative. Yeah, yeah. I want to go back to the Camino de Santiago because you mentioned that you walked from Saria to Santiago. Tell yeah. us about that journey. Did you enjoy the day to day nature of the walk, the clocking up of the miles? Well, I'll tell you this: the nature was absolutely exquisite. I mean, stunning. If that path had been all nature, I'm sure I would have had a different impression. But the first day, really, there was there was a big part of me that was saying, why in the world did I have this feeling to do this? The nature was phenomenal, but other parts were not at all what I expected, not in a good way. And I should say that the part that I walked, right, I'm, I know you know this, is is the the most famous it's the most commercialized this is like the minimum that you can walk and still get your certificate and i didn't get my certificate because honestly that's not that's not why i did it that it it didn't mean that the journey itself was what meant something to me yeah. so i really wasn't worried about getting the certificate or getting my stamps but, you know, I had this image in my head that everyone who was doing it would be on this spiritual journey and every conversation would be profound. And I started off and that wasn't the case. I mean, certainly I met people on that path, but I also met people who were doing it because it was a cheap vacation. I mean, there were souvenir stores. Um, there, there were just a lot of things that I didn't expect and not in a good way. And I also had this concept in my head, the feeling that I had was do the Camino. It will help with your writing and the next step in your life, where to go after Spain. So this in my head, which had nothing to do with the feeling translated into, I will meet a marketing genius who will help me with my books and I will meet someone. I mean, really like, (laughs) It's interesting how from these feelings we get, we completely change the feeling into something it's not. And um, and so I will know the exact place that I'm supposed to go right after Spain. And we'll figure out how to get a job. Someone will offer me a job in Spain and everything will be set. So after by the end of that first day, not only did I feel disappointed with 
everything that was not related to nature. But I was so sure that the marketing genius and job offer would happen the first day. I really felt like this is not helping. This is not what I thought. <laughs> you know, and I and I went into I got to the the albergue and um I mean, there was a guy at the bar who was completely drunk, and there was a very, very sweet, who I'm still friends with, still in touch with woman who I wound up meeting the next day, who was there concerned about this dog who had followed her for five hours, and where was the owner, and the albergue owner didn't want to follow her, you know, she asked the albergue owner, please contact the police, she didn't want to do it because it would cost her money or something. The drunk guy at the bar kicked the dog. I mean, this is not what I envisioned when I thought of the Camino. And, you know, I went to the bathroom and by chance I was like washing my shirt out. And this woman came in and we started talking and it was her third time doing the Camino. And she said, the first time, the first day, I was just like you. I went with all these expectations. You have to get rid of them all. The Camino decides what your path will be. It decides who crosses your path. It decides what you will get out of it. And that completely changed my perspective. And everything was different after that. Absolutely everything. And by the end, I set off the second day completely the complete different mindset. And by the end of the second day, I got what I knew I was supposed to get. And the rest of the journey was just this, this beautiful walk through nature, not so beautiful at the parts where I crossed the highways, yeah. but and just this meeting of people and just accepting whoever came across my path. The third day I couldn't walk. So I, I mean, I had to stay in the town that I was in. And I wasn't upset about it. Really, the rest of the journey was just like, okay, accept what the Camino gives you. That, that's it. Why couldn't you walk on the third day? You know, because I knew nothing about the Camino and I didn't know that most people walk in the morning, they reach a town, they spend afternoon, evening there, and they set off the next morning. I walked thirty about 30 kilometers the first and second day. <laughs> Right. So, and my training for that, I hadn't, I hadn't really trained for this at all. And the blisters on my feet were so, so, so bad. By the end of the second day, I just needed one day to rest and I took it. So that was why. What, do you remember what town you were in? Oh, God, I don't. And it was just. I mean, fantastic experience there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't walk at all in the morning. And then by the afternoon, I thought you have to go out because you're setting out the next day. So you have to start to walk a little. And I just met amazing people. And it was just, I mean, even the town being there it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you develop this great uh, affection for Spain. What about the, for the facilities? If you didn't do much research before you went, did you always find a bed? Yeah, I mean, it was it was absolutely fine. I heard that, the, I shouldn't say it was fine. The, the last night, it wasn't fine because I couldn't find a place to stay. Um, but I was told that that's, that's only because, I mean, I did the, the most walked part at the most walked month, you know, and I was told by other people who'd done the Camino previously or had been walking it for, for a month or for two months that that was the first night that other people who couldn't find a place to stay as well, that was the first time they experienced it. But 
there's always a place to stay. I mean, my first night walking, or sorry, first day walking, I ran to these two people in the afternoon. We started chatting. They said, where are you staying tonight? I said, I have no idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> they said, do you want us to call our albergue and see if there's an extra bed? I said, that'd be great. They did. There was an extra bed. I mean, that's how I found my place to sleep the first the first night. Oh, wow. You know, and the other times I'd get to a town. If they didn't have something, I'd call the next one and keep walking, and that was it. And what did you make of the albergues? Did you enjoy staying in them? Yes, I did. I mean... Uh, I also stayed in I also stayed in very cheap hotels too just because it's my um it's my own I need a lot of time alone and it's not like you're not it's not like you're not alone on the camino I think you you know you have a lot of time alone you have time speaking to other people but also I just needed time at the end of each day to be by myself and to process things and um have a room by myself just where I could write and think about everything. And, you know, the Camino is, it is what you make it. And it can be this experience where you just speak to people nonstop. I think if you make that effort and if you find people who also want that, I'm very chatty. I meet people everywhere I go, everywhere I travel And I'd say I'd had less conversations on the Camino than I typically do just traveling because I wanted that time just for reflection. Yeah, that's not easy to do, Jennifer. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to walk up beside you and, and strike up a conversation. Did you feel a little cloistered? I mean, did you... I didn't feel cloistered, but I think that's why after that first night, and the albergue was fine. It was lovely. Like, you meet a lot of people. It's great. And and every single person that I asked, everyone who I wound up speaking to, I asked, uh, why are you doing this? Because I was so curious to hear different people's answers. But, um, I mean, it was, you're right, it's not 100% easy because everybody... I don't want to say everybody, a lot of people are looking for that connection. And I'm sure that I would be one of them because I do love talking to people and I meet people everywhere I go when I travel. So I was also surprised by myself that I got there and I felt like that's not what I want. I want this time to to be inside myself and, and to think about things. But you mentioned earlier that the, the dog and the bar and the first night and how you met someone who you have, have you kept in contact with many people that you met on the Camino? I've met it. I've kept in contact with two, right. two just credible people. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think they were special to you? Probably because I walked the most amount of time with them. I, sp- I wound up uh, spending about four hours um, walking with each of them yeah. and the other people, maybe I walked with a lot of them, maybe like 10, 15 minutes. Um, some of them maybe an hour, two hours. And then some people you just click with, you know, and you know, you're going to keep up the, the friendship and other people, you know, it's, they're just meant to be in your life or on the Camino for a bit and that's it. And they were incredible too, but it just, not everybody's there for the whole Camino, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's so true. Let me ask you something. Are you 
surprised um, that you have come to the realization um, that now I've chosen this path. Um, you know, I've really got to make a go of it. Are you surprised that you've found yourself in this place, in this time of your life? Um, like, do you mean in Chiang Mai or just... Um... Just, just overall. I mean, you've, you've, you've now dedicated yourself to your writing. You're in Chiang Mai. Yeah. You're going to eventually end up in Spain. Um, and I, I'd imagine that that wasn't necessarily your life's sort of future. You didn't really expect to be here. That's why I just wondered if you were surprised. Or if maybe there was something in the back of your mind that you knew this was always going to be your life. Oh, no, no, not at all. I mean, my, you know, my ultimate plan when I was younger was to settle down in Israel and try and do peace work with Palestinian and and Israeli children. That was like the ultimate goal. So, you know, I'd al- I, I mean, I should say I always wanted to be a nomad. I always wanted to not forever, but travel the way that I'm doing now. So that certainly was a dream come true. But in terms of settling down and the places I'm spending extended time in, none of this was the plan. Writing was always the plan. Doing work to help others, yes, but no, certainly none of this was a plan. Not at all. You know, talking to you, you mentioned that you'd battled depression for many years. Talking to you, and if you'll forgive me, there doesn't appear to be any evidence of that. I mean, you sound fantastic. You sound focused and dedicated and, and inspired um, and enlightened. Um, how have you managed to deal with that, if that's the cards that would dealt you, if you like? Uh, how have you brought yourself through it all? I mean, yeah, no one who meets me now believes when I say I, had, I struggled with severe depression on and no. off for 30 years. No one believes. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, listen to you. Listen to you. You don't sound like that person. But something must have changed. You must have had a great victory in, in changing things. I mean, it was a slow journey. I mean, I got, I started to get help when I was 25 and, you know, it really the help that I got went from um, okay to just abominable, truly horrible. And it, it was a process. I mean, from I, I changed everything in my life from changing where I live. I mean, the U.S. is it's just not my place, you know, it, changing my work, changing, I mean, people that I had in my life. It just I've changed like everything. So all of those things helped. But really, like finding an amazing doctor when I was 37 and then working with her for three years. And so she was just psychologist for counseling. And then she recommended she said I had to be on medicine and recommended another doctor who, you know, finally diagnosed me correctly with bipolar disorder instead of depression. And so, I mean, then I finally got good treatment and then I started to get better and just like the final thing was just dealing with abuse from the sexual abuse from when I was younger from a doctor. And really that was like the final thing, like, okay, it's, I can move. I don't want to say move on because certain things you always have with you, yeah. but it was just like, I get the power in my life now and now the, the power's mine. And just, I, I don't know. I mean, I just felt this, uh, this peace and the depression went away. And also I take very good care of myself. I have to say now that I'm good. I mean, I take 
really good care of myself. It just in terms of spiritual things, things that I eat, exercise, you know, the work I do, situations I put myself in. So now that I'm good, I, I want to stay good. But it was a long, long journey getting here. Really long. Yeah. Do you have much family? Is, is family a part of your life, a big part? Yes. I mean, and I do, I do miss them. I mean, when yeah. I set off, I moved to Spain when I was 28. That was one of the hardest things that I did because, I mean, my parents, my brother, now my brother's married. I'm very close with my family. But, you know, sometimes you're born into a life that just isn't yours. And they're, they're very happy in the U.S. And I just, from the time I was young, I knew it wasn't my place. Just, like, just like the little seed that fell into your lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jennifer, when I hear the word Camino, no matter yeah. where I am, and sometimes it's on television, people talking about old American cars, it, but sometimes when I hear the word Camino, it conjures up in me a sense of hope, a sense of peace and a kind of light. What does that word Camino conjure up in you? I think two things. I mean, one now, certainly the Camino de Santiago itself. I mean, forever, you know. And then the other is just this path of life. And um, we're, we're all, all on this path, right? And um, I certainly taught when I was younger through the education system that, you know, and also my culture, there's a beginning and an end. You know, beginning is birth, death is the end. And um, I don't see that anymore. I see it as circular, but it's also this path doesn't mean beginning and ending, you know? Yeah. For me, path is just you keep walking no matter what it is. You keep going. You keep going. And searching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I got to a place where I don't, I don't search anymore. Like I found... I found what I've been looking for. So now mm. it's just kind of, uh, may, I mean, I still search in terms of how can I share my writing? What can I do to help other people? I still search in terms of that. But this great, you know, this angst of why am I here? What am I supposed to do that I had for so many years? I don't have anymore. Yeah. What a great gift to have finally given yourself. No, I feel incredibly lucky. I really do. There's, um, there was this sign that I passed in Chiang Mai, this artist studio that says, um, can't get lost if you don't care where you are. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. It, uh, well, the next question, um, I can't let you go without mentioning a quote at the bottom of your emails that you send. Yeah. It says, there are three things you must do in life. Be kind, be kind, be kind. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. I, the best English teacher I ever had in my life, writing teacher, was my ninth grade teacher. And every day he put a different quote on the board. And that was one of his. And I've, I, I don't know if it's what he said or someone else. I've researched it. I can't find... Who said it? But uh, yeah, it's a great uh, something great to to remember in life. That's right. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. The three things we must do in life. Jennifer, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. 
Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule in Chiang Mai in Thailand where you're writing. I love it. You've taken the Thank you. you've taken the you've taken the dream and made it a reality. And that's taken a great bravery on your part over a very long time. And I can hear it in your voice, the joy that you have found in accomplishing that. And uh, uh, long, long may music ring loud in your heart and long may your heart dance to the rhythm of your soul. Walk on, Pilgrim. Thank you so much, Dan. Truly, it's been a pleasure. Truly, thank you. Buen camino. Buen camino. Muchas gracias. My guest this week, the American writer and world traveller Jennifer Helfand. And I began talking about Ikigai and finding our life's purpose. It's not easy, but I can't help thinking it's worth the search. Japan's greatest swordsman, the ultimate samurai, Miyamoto Musashi, said, Never stray from the way. Finding your way, he says, is your life's solace. The Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man or woman, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances or to choose one's own way. My album Duende is available for purchase and download on all streaming platforms. I mean, you can sponsor me in the podcast if you're inclined. Just go to patreon.com forward slash danmullins or danmullinsmusic.com. I'm going to put a link in the podcast notes so you can buy Jennifer's books and you can get them online. Easy easy. Another week drifts by, another year, another decade. It means I'm one step closer to walking another pilgrimage. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the